You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. Here are your hosts, Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkins. Hello again, Life Group Leaders. Uh, glad that you're tuning in this week to our Life Group Leader Podcast for Brentwood Baptist Church. This is the week of March the 13th, 2017, and I'm here with the one and only Dr. Paul Wilkinson. Say hello, Paul. <laughs> hey, group leaders. Every week, that's all he says is, hey, group that's leaders. That's all it takes. <laughs> that's all it takes. Hey, we're excited about, once again, another week of unpacking with you some of the lesson for the Transforming Truths curriculum. And this week, if you're tracking with us, we're on Chapter 9 in the book, Transforming Truths, and we're going to be talking about Christian living, and we're going to be unpacking a little bit in this podcast, and you're going to be unpacking in your life groups this week, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. But before we do that, let's jump into just a few things we want you to know about as we move forward here. One thing is, just in a few weeks, we're going to be doing and talking about, or actually be participating in, Engage Middle Tennessee. You've heard us talk about it. We've been talking about it on the podcast, maybe even another email that you've seen. You've seen it promoted uh, a little bit church-wide. There's going to be uh, a video this Sunday that's going to be shown uh, about Engage Middle Tennessee. It's going to be an awesome time for life groups to partner together to serve our community. If you need help, if you are yet to sign up, if you have no idea what to do, please contact me or Paul or Vicki Howell will be, all three of us will be glad to help you get connected, get some details, logistics down so that you know exactly what you need to be doing on Engagement of Tennessee Day. And sadly, I don't think my life group's signed up yet. I got to get on that. Get on it, Paul. What are you doing, man? Okay. Slacking, slacking. Uh, so have those conversations with your life groups. Talk to them about some ways in which you can all can serve together. Uh, to um, to serve and, and um, love Middle Tennessee on Saturday, April 8th. Hey, another thing I wanted to let you know about is Easter Sunday is April the 16th. April the 16th is Easter Sunday this year. And as always, there will be no life groups that will be meeting on the Brentwood campus that day. Uh, we've got a number of worship services happening that day, beginning at 7 a.m. in the morning, we're really asking, if possible, all of our life group leaders, if you would uh, park off campus uh, and take shuttles in so that we can really open up our close-in uh, parking spaces for guests and for those who really, really need them, if at all possible, we'd love for you to park away, uh, maybe in the back part of the lot or Take a park in one of our remote lots and um, and take the shuttle in. We'll have more information for you about that. You'll see some stuff on the website about it. The e-connects that come out on Wednesdays uh, to um, it will have more information about Easter Sunday. So just want to let you know about that. Yeah, we'll also encourage you to come to the earlier services, uh, the non prime time hours ones. I think we saw the stats today. It was something like we had mid nine. 9,000 mid-hundreds some odd people last year, and that was with spring break coinciding, so it might even be more this year. So it's a great time for evangelism uh, from Mike, so we want to make it, we, we want to pack that place with unbelievers. Absolutely. So if you're inviting an unbeliever or a neighbor who's unchurched to 
Easter services, obviously, maybe a 7 a.m. probably wouldn't work for them, I would, I would assume. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> I'm wrong, but I'm just making some assumptions. Uh, but so if that's you and you're going to invite, uh, one of those people, you might want to come to a nine thirty or 10 o'clock service, you know, or 11 o'clock service. And, uh, that would be okay. But if you're not, if, if you don't intend to invite anybody, we'd love for you to come as early as possible. Okay. And, and we will be parking off campus as well. So we're not asking anything of you that we're not going to do that morning. Absolutely. That's so true. We're expecting over 10,000 people on mm. Easter Sunday, man. This, what an awesome opportunity for us to, to, uh, uh, to share the gospel with many, many people. Uh, what does it look like to be, to live as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian in the world? And there's so many verses that speak to this in the scriptures, but we're going to begin with, uh, Ephesians chapter four. Yeah, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirits of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity of the truth. So, Paul, initially you look at the, you look at the, the, the first verse, verse 17, and Paul writes, Therefore I say this, and testify in the Lord, You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. That's just a really interesting thing to ponder and to consider. Futility of their thoughts. He's describing these uh, pagans, these Gentiles, as walking in the futility of their thoughts. Unpack that a little bit. What is that? What comes to mind when you think about futility of their thoughts? Yeah, when I think about futility itself, I think of worthlessness, pointlessness, uh, something that has no value. You may as well just not do it. And so when I think when he's talking about the pagans being futility, the Gentiles being futile in their thoughts, is that they're thinking about things that aren't lasting, things that aren't eternal, things that aren't kingdom-minded, we would say, as believers. Uh, to me, it harkens back to Romans 1. And it talks about, again, we remember we talked about creation and God's existence and these things ought to be evident. I think we highlighted in the podcast, Romans 1, uh, we ought to know God in creation. And yet, because of our sin, we willfully suppress that truth. I think that willful suppression through other philosophies, maybe like Epicureanism or Stoicism that we see in Acts 17, some of these philosophies that drive one away from God are these futile thinking that's not eternal or not eternal in a positive way. So as you look at as you look at the world in which we live today, you know contemporary American society. What are some of the things that come to your mind, Paul, about how some common things, some modern things we might see with people who are walking in the futility of their thoughts? Yeah, we st- we still got some of those same philosophies around. I mean, Epicureanism is a kind of hedonism where you seek after pleasure. And if it's not, that pleasure isn't relationship with Christ, then that pleasure is going to lead you to condemnation. The wrath we talked about last week, uh, you get materialism, 
people that pursue things, that pursue wealth and commodities and the stuff of their life, that the pluralism, that every view is equally valid. This one is just wreaking havoc on our children and grandchildren now, uh, where the religious knowledge is just your opinion and that all we have all these equal paths to get to God. Every view is equally valid. Pluralism is completely futile because it's going to lead so many people to condemnation and a, and a negative judgment. Um, can you think of any others? Well, I, I take a look at, uh, I mean, just the pervasive worldliness we see in our culture today. You know, yeah. just that, that, um, drive for worldly success of the world, obviously, as the world would define success, making a lot of money, being popular, having fame, driving the nice car, having the, the best house on the, on the street. Um, it's, it's not bad necessarily having those things, but it's the drive for those things and the desire for those things above all else that's, that makes it, uh, the, you know, futile, right? It doesn't last. That's right. And they don't point to God, uh, in themselves. Now we may be able to point to God, uh, God's providence or care in some of it, but, uh, if it's not pointing to God and not pointing people toward the kingdom, then it's, it's all gonna, for lack of a better term, it's all gonna burn in the end. And it's definitely not the pursuit that a, that a Christian would, would want to have because we see obviously in scriptures and in this, this passage that we read is that it's, it's, uh, taken off the former life, right? The former things that you used to pursue, the things that weren't of God, those things that where you did not deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. Instead, we followed ourselves. We followed, uh, um, uh, you know, our own pursuits and pleasures in this world to bring attention and glorification to ourselves. But Paul here is writing, Paul, Paul the Apostle, not Paul the man standing in front of me. <laughs> Paul the Wilkinson. Paul the Wilkinson. <laughs> um, is that, uh, you know, we take off the old self as being corrupted and we take put on the new self. Um, and we, we'll take a look at that here in just one particular, in, just in one second. Um to give us talk to us a little bit, Paul. Just you know, as we move down through here, kind of looking at the verses continually. You know, Paul the apostle makes the makes the brings up the the concept of darkness. Uh, verse eighteen, they they are darkened in their understanding, included excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts. And we see that talked about a lot, right? Hardened heart in, in scriptures, darkness, kind of equating to this blinded to the things of God. They are incapable truly of seeing the light. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, and they refuse to see the light uh, from that Romans 1. And John's a big user of light. If you read John 1, you'll talk about Jesus being the light that has come into the world uh, to lead men out of darkness. Uh, so that's, that's really the futility of thought. Paul unpacks it a little bit for us right there. It's ignorance. It's that in your mind, you're trapped in the bondage of your sin. You're held hostage or you are a servant of Satan in your mind being in the dark. And what we need is Christ to bring the light to show us the way to the kingdom. A few times in these verses, um, uh, Paul brings up this idea of the mind. In, in verse 17, he talks about, the, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the futility of their thoughts. Okay, obviously he's hearkening to the mind. Again, in verse 23, he says, you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. Why is it important, Paul, to not divorce our mind from the rest of our beings when it comes to this sort of thing? 
Yeah, and one significant thing in that verse is that it's a passive verb there being renewed in your mind. So it's something that's being done to you by God. So what it requires of us is, is submission. And then, of course, after that submission and we are renewed, there'll be a response. But this idea of mind shows up everywhere. Uh, Luke ten twenty seven, for instance, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And then, of course, your neighbor is yourself. Uh, Philippians 2, 2. Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. So the idea of thinking the same as as Paul there, thinking the same as Christ. And then Philippians 4, 7, just a couple chapters over. Uh, the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. And so sometimes we may go a little far, uh, in each in different ways. Me, I'll, I'll tend towards the cognitive. I'll tend towards the mind only and forget the other uh, holistic aspects of the person, of the self. And then on the other side, some people will push you fully to the emotional experience, to the feelings, uh, to, to what might be classified in that sense, more traditional spiritual formation. Uh, and the answer is in between. The answers are that if I don't have the proper affections and emotions towards God, then I'm not going to be obedient to the things God calls me to. But if I don't have introspection and theological reflection on my experiences, on those intense emotional moments, then they're meaningless. And the fact of the matter is the way God has created us with minds, and that's the way we process information, that's the way we relate to the world, that we're never apart from the mind. The mind is very much intimately attached to the self. So we need to nurture it and make it pure so that it'll reflect Christ well. As we move, as we move on, and we continue to take a look at some of these uh, at, at these verses and some of these concepts that really stand out, as we take a look, especially as it relates to Christian living, the Apostle Paul talks about the old life versus the old self versus the new self. Verse twenty-two: You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed. Okay, that's God renewing you. He, this, this passive you're being acted on in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self. There's this middle reflexive, right? Where you're doing this to yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to take it is that you yourself put on, uh, this new garment, this new overcoat that you've gotten because your mind has been renewed and you can now see the world the way God intended you to see the world, where you see it in a kingdom reflection, you see it through a Christ perspective. So now you put on this garment and you live as light in all those dark places of, of society. So so one of the things I think about on this passage, Paul, is is that this, this transition from the old self to the new self isn't necessarily just a one-time thing that just happens in a moment and then all of a sudden new self. Okay, there is an element of that in our salvation experience, right? Where we are made a new creation. Yeah. But it's a process. That's right. I mean, it's a, it's a daily decision that we all make in our Christian life to put off the old self and to put on the new self. And it just didn't happen in like a split second moment, but it's always being, it's always happening. It's a sanctifying, purifying process of saying, Hey, today I'm making the decision as I partner with God. To become less like Jay Fennel and more like Jesus Christ today. Mm. And that God is working in that in me. 
through the Holy Spirit and His power working in my life, but I'm partnering with Him in that work, right? To become formed, conformed, and transformed into His image. Talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on that. That's right. I like Jay Fennel okay, so maybe it's a take off the... Well, you know, there are times that I like Jay Fennel too, Paul, but I'm far from Christ, at least... I want to be closer to Christ than I am. Yeah, so maybe it's the Jay Fennel God intended to be, the redeemed Jay Fennel. But you're right, it is, a, it is an effort that we have to participate in, in doing this every day, in crucifying the old self and mortifying our sins and, and living toward the kingdom, living the kingdom that's been inaugurated now, even though it'll be fulfilled later. Uh, and I think to our lesson last week, we talked a little bit about the distinction between justification and sanctification. And I think maybe our, is a little parallelism here, not, not one to one, of course, but this idea of God doing something for you, renewing your mind, God justifying you, like we talked about last week. And then now your response and submission to that is to put on this new garment and to put on the new self daily and to live as salt and light in your community. So if darkness is ignorance, and that's who is out there, the unregenerate, the unbelievers, are the ones in the dark, are the ones that are ignorant, and we are now light by putting on the new self, then we carry that forth as the mediators of Christ to a lost world. On page 91 in the travelogue, um, the the author, Dr. Didway, mentions uh, a tour that he took at Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And some of you have experienced that for yourself. You've been up to Mammoth Cave. It's only about an hour drive from here north, straight up 65, to to experience that. And my family and I, last spring break, or two spring breaks ago, I think, went up to Mammoth Cave and toured the, toured the cave and just had a really great experience. But I know exactly what Dr. Didaway's talking about here because literally you stand in this huge room Okay, in the down deep in the earth, cold, wet, and they the the tour guide is holding flashlights, and there's like, uh, you know, a switch with with lights that kind of light the path that you walk, right? Because you're so dark, so deep, and so dark in there, and he literally removes all light from in front of you, and it is absolutely the darkest I've ever place I've ever been in my life, and he's right. The, the author says that you can hold up your hand in front of your face and you can literally not see it. I mean, you can feel it and you can feel the wind in front of you if you start waving it, but you cannot see it at all. And all of a sudden, he, he turns, he has a lighter, he flicks on the lighter, and you see that that little bit of light cascades all throughout that huge opening. And there's like 40 people in my tour, uh, this particular tour guide, uh, or, or this tour group that we were with. And he flipped on that light, and I could see all forty faces, Paul. Wow! It, I mean, it was it was That's it intense. was it was that it was that bright in that space because of the darkness was so huge. That little bit of light was so was so bright that it, it was everything that we needed to see every person. It just illuminated everything. So I hear what you're saying. I mean, we look at the world like that. You know, the world is in darkness and in bondage, and um, and the futility of their thoughts. And we as believers in Jesus have seen the light and we've experienced that light. And not only that, we are light because we are reflecting the very light of Christ in our own lives. We go out into a dark world, dark cavernous places where people are in bondage and can't see the light. 
And we are that light to those people. And that's why it's so important for us as believers um, to constantly be in a growth mode, to be constantly growing spiritually, to be even more and more of a bright light to so that people are drawn to Jesus through our lives. Um, and, you know, that's part of our w- Christian witness is to, is to battle against the darkness. This isn't a flesh and bone battle. This is a, this is a supernatural spiritual battle that all of us are in and all of us are called to, to engage into. And if we aren't being filled up and, and every day being conformed to the image of Christ, then we are rendered useless against that battle. And our people need to know that. Our people need to know that they're in a battle. Whether they're sitting on the sidelines and not engaging the battle, they're missing out on a ton of opportunity, a ton of fulfillment, but a ton of suffering too. This that comes with this battle that we're all called to engage. Yeah, and you don't just wing it. It's something you prepare yourselves for. And that's why studies like what we've done with these transforming truths are so significant. So that when you do get in the midst of that battle and the pressures increase and Satan's firing every flaming arrows he's got, that our shield will be glistening and potent to reflect those things and to be the light that we're called to be. Um, I get mocked sometimes. I keep my, my office a little bit dark. Uh, people walk in from really light rooms into my darker office and it's even doubly dark to them with their perspective. And sometimes, sometimes Jay will politely come over and flip on the light switch and it hurts a little bit, uh, when you're looking at the light. At home, I'm the same way. I don't flip on the lights very often and my wife will come in and flip them on and you have some pain when the, when the photons blast into your retinas there and, and it, it hurts. And I think faith is the same way that um, because of the sin that we have and we suppress the truth of Christ, that it hurts when we see the light in front of us. It hurts when the scriptures convict us as we read them. It hurts to look at Jesus and be convicted that my rebellion and my settling for futile things, when he wants to give me the world, my settling for futile things nailed him to a cross. It really hurts to look at that. But it's through that pain and the memory of that pain that in many ways we can continue to put on this new self day by day. And then we can literally be lights in these dark caves, these dark pockets at your workplace, uh, at the local restaurant, in the community park, dog park, whatever your daily or normal rhythm of life experiences. There's ignorant people everywhere in dark caves. And you, you can be that lighter if you prepare yourself well and you go in there representing Christ. Yeah. And if anything, to see the people around us that are caught in this dark bondage and are operating in the futility of their thoughts, their minds haven't been renewed, rather than criticizing them, rather rather than pitying them, we should be burdened for them. Mm. And it should break our hearts. And, and I think it's okay for us to pray that way, to pray that our hearts would be broken for those people who have no idea that there's a God in heaven who loves them. There's that, what I just get personal here real quick. My, my wife and I were, uh, uh, gosh, six, seven weeks before we uh, were to have the due date for our first child, our first child, Jack, who is now 12 years old. But 
um, my wife went into labor early and it was a scary thing for us. And so I rushed her to the hospital and the doctor uh, did his examinations. And sure enough, it was it, it was inevitable that, that uh, our son Jack was going to come about seven weeks premature. And that was a scary thing for me as a first time dad. I didn't know what was going on there and was really concerned and and uh, I was concerned for him, for his life, and concerned for my wife. I mean, I had a lot at stake here. You know, this is my family. These are the people that I love more than anything in the world right here. I was completely out of control. Uh, I was powerless to do anything about it except sit back and just pray and ask the Lord to, to intervene and do his work. And I thought for a moment, you know, if what was something, what, what would happen if my son were to be, were to be born but not make it? And, um, and have, have these issues and not make it. The hardest part, the, the thing that broke my heart the most was to know that he would never know how much his dad loved him. And there are so many people that walk around in our world today who have no idea that that's true. That they have a Father in Heaven who created them, who loves them. And there's so much darkness and they're blinded to it. We are those people as lights in this dark world to be that the, the testimony of Jesus Christ, to, to communicate the gospel, to demonstrate the gospel in front of them. But it only comes when we're built up by God's Spirit, when we spend our, when we do our part to grow in the Lord and to, to live the life that Christ has called us to live every day, to become more like Him, transformed into His image, and become less like us and more like Him. Uh, that's, that's the key. Yeah, it's a great story. Uh, and you mentioned the word control there. And it just, it just strikes me. What can we actually control? We can't control people to convert. We can't control the way we receive. What we can control is our intake. We can control whether we read the Bible each day. We can control how much we pray. We can control whether we're in fellowship and group time with one another. And if we do these things well, then we're going to be ready for that battle. We'll be prepared. Amen. What's the stake, Paul? So what's the stake is what you just described, eternal separation from the love of a father who would desperately have them and condemnation in hell. That's the stake if we don't live the life well for many, many people in our spheres of influence. Yeah, living the life of Christ in front of people who don't know him. Uh, that's Christian living. That's Christian living. Well, uh, we hope this podcast was helpful for you. We're praying for you as you unpack Ephesians 4 with your group uh, this week. Uh, spend a lot of time in prayer. Uh, be thinking about it. I would encourage you to read the passage of Scripture, marinate on it, ask the Lord to give you insights to it, even maybe even before you start going to supplemental resources, uh, that, you, that God has done His work in you uh, and, and really broken your heart prior to going in to your group time to teach and to uh, to communicate this truth to people. And that's really when it really hits home with people, when it's connected to your own life. It's not just proposition or truth that you're teaching apart from any sort of emotion or life experience of your own, but if you've, if you've really processed it yourself in your own heart, that's when it really, uh, really connects with people, other people's hearts. So I encourage you to take some time to do that this week. We're praying for you. We love you. We're appreciative of all that you do. And we, we want to serve you as best we can. Know that we pray for you. Please, every day that we do, we do pray for you. Paul, any last words before we uh, sign off? Oh, we 
We live boldly because we're on the winning side. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll we'll check in on you next week. Thanks. Bye, guys.